Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Good morning. Good to have you all here this morning. If you have your scriptures open to Jonah chapter 1, we are continuing our series through the book of Jonah. Last week, we kind of set a stage and explained that Jonah is very unique in the prophetical books. It's not found in the historical accounts, but it's a prophetical book. But unlike some of the other prophetical books of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and even some of the minor prophets, the whole book of Jonah is kind of a parable. We don't get a lot of Thus says the Lord, we really have a little bit of that, but the story itself is trying to convey a message. And the message is a great one. I love this story, and we're going to be picking up at verse 4, and we're going to read verses 4 through 6. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each one cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper arise call out to your God Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This morning, I'm going to talk about backstage passes, body language, traction, the play Wicked, one of my favorites, and income taxes, one of my least favorites. I had a friend who worked at Niederlander Productions. He worked at the Greek theater and was part of the box office and through that, he had a lot of contacts with different venues, different events. One of the venues he had contacts with was the Forum, back when the Lakers used to play at the Forum, and had a lot of things happening there. It was before Staples Center was there. And he got us 
into basically the, it was called the forum room at the time, to see Paul McCartney. And we got to go into the forum room and there were all these celebrities there hanging out in the forum room. Okay, Tracy Ullman, there was Lady Jane Kennedy back in the day, some basketball players, and we were there, right? And and I'm there hanging out with these people and I'm like, oh, look at that person, look at that person. And it's kind of like getting an inside to the big party. They had this incredible spread that we got to just eat of right and it's like it didn't cost us anything we get to go in there and eat he had these kinds of connections and so it was great we would go to laker games and be like four seats up from center court and we'd have waitresses coming and asking for our order we didn't have to go and wait in line we just had them come it was like i was like celebrity for one time they even paid for our food as they came. I just felt like somebody, right? I felt like, oh man, I, I've got this ticket in. And what we're seeing here take place in the book of Jonah is kind of a, a backstage to what is happening in this topic. You see, Jonah has chosen to go to sea. And why did he chose to, to leave and go on the ocean? Because the sea, like the wilderness and like the mountains, was considered something that was disorganized, chaotic, and actually threatening. It wasn't a part of what God was doing in the minds of the people. Remember, God gave to Abraham this demographic of land, the promised land. It wasn't the promised sea. The sea was something that was considered dangerous, and so... What Jonah is doing by getting on this boat and going out to sea is trying to escape from where the presence of God is at, that disorganized, crazy place. And as he sailed to a distant land, one that was seemingly away from the concern of God, what he didn't realize is he made a mistake. He confused his small world, his small understanding of what the world was for what God's real world is. And I think that's something that happens to us so many times. We think God works in a certain way and certain boundaries, and we see things so small to a picture that is so big. And God is not just a big person who thinks like we do, but bigger, or has strength like us, but better. He is beyond our ability to fully understand. And so Jonah fleeing doesn't realize that he's actually running into God, not away from God. And there is nowhere that you can flee, the psalmist says, where his arms aren't there, where he does not see us. And so this is where he is running. And in this episode of Jonah, what we see is the sea becomes God's agent for thwarting Jonah's plans. And so what we see is that God then hurls this great wind. He doesn't just send us a breeze. He hurls. It's like he's throwing something at Jonah. Okay. And we're starting to see that God has ways of revealing himself that are more than just verbal. You know, body language is an amazing thing. There is a therapy, it's called EMDR. It's eye movement desensitization reprocessing. 
And what this therapy does is the therapist has you close your eyes and then they ask you questions and by the movement of your eyes, they can tell what things are traumatic or have been traumatic in your life because you can't control the movement of your eyes when those traumatic things come into mind, your brain reacts and it shows up in the movement of your eyes. And it's a therapy that's used a lot with people who suffer from PTSD. And there's certain things that happen with our bodies that we don't realize. When you see someone who you like, your body changes its posture. Usually you become looser, you become more welcoming. It's almost like, oh, there's someone I I want to see, someone I would want to embrace. And so it changes your physical position even though you're not aware of it. When you see someone who you love, someone that you care about, it also causes some things to happen to you. It, It might give you, you know, the blood rushes to your head, your lips become fuller. I'm in love all the time. I have full lips, right? It's something that all of a sudden it changes your disposition because you see someone and your body reacts to those things. Even your pupils will dilate. There is a body language that we are unaware of. And there is a language that God is speaking in this story that Jonah was trying to run from. But again, it was all around him. And now this storm becomes God's voice in Jonah's life. I wonder how many circumstances become God's voice in our life. And are we hearing it? Are we reading the body language, so to speak, of God? in the world around us that's taking place. And what is that language? What, what is he saying? Even though they weren't talking, Jonah and God, they were still communicating. Through his actions, Jonah's actions, he was saying, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not listening to you. And through his actions, God was saying, sure you are. You're just going the hard way. You see, there is a communication taking place and God is saying something, even though Jonah is saying something. Remember, God has a voice in this too. It's not just your voice. I'm going to do this. God says, oh, maybe you won't. Or maybe you will, but not the way you think. Or maybe you're going to do or go somewhere that you didn't anticipate, but I have a voice too. And it shows up in different ways and in different things. And sometimes these events are what causes us to turn around. It's what God does that gives us the understanding. And God is taking off his gloves at this point. And he's saying, okay, Jonah, I'm going to hurl a wind at you and I'm going to change your direction. When I was about 10 years old, I lived, well, I lived in Montebello, but I also lived in Pico Rivera with my cousins. And I would go and stay at their houses, house Monday through Friday, and they'd come stay at our house on the weekends. And when I would be at their house, we were kind of latchkey kids. You know, we hung out in the neighborhood. And one day, someone had a pair of boxing gloves. And so they gave us boxing gloves. Now, I was 10 years old. And everyone else was about, oh, 
12, 13 years old, 14 years old. And so I had the boxing gloves, but I'm going against these older, you know, some of them even teenagers. And of course, most of them are being nice to me and they're letting me play like I'm winning, you know, because I'm the little kid and I'm sitting there boxing and they're, yeah, oh, no, stop, stop. But there's this one kid, Joey, he wasn't so nice, okay? And Joey pins me down because that's the way you box in Pico Rivera. He, he, he pins me down and he's got me and he's on top of me and he's punching me and he hits me on the side of the neck and dislocates my neck. I go running into the house screaming and everyone thinks I'm a baby. They think I just can't take a punch. And really, my neck's dislocated, right? And so that night, my aunt went out and we had a babysitter who thought he would try and straighten my neck, you know. And he's lifting me up and I'm like, ah! screaming and I don't remember what happened I may have blacked out I don't know but I remember it was a rough night and then finally because I was walking around like this you know and I couldn't they took me to the doctor and they found out my neck was dislocated and so they had to put me in traction for three days I was at the children's hospital laying looking at the ceiling with this weight on my chin holding it up and all I could do was stare at the ceiling And I had some amazing hallucinations at that time, just staring at the ceiling. I was pretending I was walking on the ceiling, all kinds of crazy things. That was my first introduction to Apple Jacks, and I hate Apple Jacks to this day. You see, God took off his gloves. He didn't send a gentle breeze. He hurled a wind. And the repeated uses of the key word in this story is great, reveals God's seriousness, God is patient, but he is also relentless. He will put you where you need to be to get your attention. And that's exactly what he did to Jonah. He laid him on his back. He had him in traction. Where are you going to go now? And that might be something that you're familiar with in your life where you see that there's some things happen and every now and then it just paralyzes you. It guts you. It it leaves you in traction where you can't do anything. And sometimes at those points, we feel like God has just taken the gloves off and put me in my place. But God is really trying to get our attention. I'm supposed to be turning these. Okay, well. And so those are the things that God is doing. He's patient, but he's relentless. And he's trying to get Jonah's attention because Jonah is important to what God is wanting to do. Now, make no mistake, God can still do what he wants through someone else, but no one can do it like Jonah. A few years ago, I went and saw Wicked at the Pantages with Kareen and uh, my daughter. I'd actually seen it before my, my daughter was real kind of bummed that we didn't take her so she kind of said you need to take me and so it was her birthday so we had to take her to see it when we went to see wicked you know i don't know all the people in the cast but there was a little note on the program that we had that said that Alyssa fox was going to be doing the part instead of jennifer denoya who is the main part for uh the one who played the witch what's her name at elsa there there you go so that's how involved i am and and so i see that and i go oh we're getting the you know person who's filling in we're we're getting that person who's the standby we're not getting the person she was amazing right it's like i don't know who the other lady was but this one was amazing but you see 
there is a purpose for your life and God wants you to fill that purpose. Someone else can and someone else might do a great job, but you were supposed to do that job. You're the one who's supposed to do that, not the other person, not the standby. And so are you filling that position because you matter to God so much that he will come after you to get your attention. See, God threw this storm on the sea and now these sailors throw the cargo into the ocean. It's the same word that's used as God hurling, them hurling. There is a cause and effect that we see happening. God is causing something and it's affecting and causing other things to happen. It's like God's playing catch here with the lives of all these people involved. Their actions are in response to God's action. And they say, this isn't a normal storm. This is hurricane. This is something unusual. And again, we see the external conflict of this hurricane is a result of an internal conflict that is taking place down below the deck in Jonah. What's happening is because of what happened. And now we think, well, God is causing and we're reacting. But think of this. Jonah caused and God reacted. See, Jonah did something that moved God to respond. What are you doing and how is God responding to your life? Do you recognize that he is not going to sit passive? that he's going to be an active participant in the things that you do or the things that you don't do. Maybe some of what's happening in your life is because of what you're refusing to do. Wow. That'll freak you out, right? What do I need to do? But it always is this catching, playing catch with God and us this cause and effect, this response to what has been done. And and we see that that Jonah just goes and he hides. And it's one of the fascinating just facets of this story is that while this hurricane is going on, Jonah is sleeping through it. And you think, how could someone sleep through something like that? It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. In fact, the captain's question cuts straight to the issue and it says, what do you mean? That's the literal translation. It's what do you mean, you sleeper? Like, what do you mean by sleeping like this? How can you sleep in this condition? But it's Jonah's condition that caused him to sleep in this bigger condition. You find that when you run away from what God has for you, you are going to find that depression starts seeping in because you're not fulfilling what you were created to fulfill. And so you find yourself a little depressed. And one of the signs of depression is sleeping, exhaustion. I don't have the strength to get up because I am overwhelmed with this burden that my life is holding. And we see that that's the case here with Jonah. The point made is that sleeping at a time like this had to be a good meaning, had to be a reason for this. And the captain says, wake up, you sleeper, call on your God. It's interesting that all these 
sailors were calling on their false god and the one who knew the true god was sleeping and calling on nothing and that's a a interesting tale itself i wonder if that's a condition of time as well and when the captain says wake up you sleeper call on your god he says cry out to god i wonder if jonah heard an echo in the captain's words of God's first words when he said, Arise and cry against Nineveh. See, cry to your God. God was saying, I want you to cry against Nineveh. The first words from a human mouth are the same. Arise and call. And so now, even through this man, he is hearing or rehearing the voice of God. And doesn't that happen so many times? Someone says something to you and you're just like, oh man, that's exactly what I was thinking and you called me on it. That, that's what I need to do. I hear the voice of God in your words and it's echoing true in my soul. He's the first to vocalize the central theme of this whole story. The whole thing is perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Perhaps God will give a thought to us and we will not perish. That's really the theme of this book. And at this point, it becomes clear why Jonah was sleeping. Okay, calling on God was the last thing he wanted. Waking up to face the storm meant he would have to face God. To pray was to risk opening his heart to God. And to open his heart to God was to risk allowing God to actually change his heart and change his life. And so Jonah got up, but we see at this point he did not call on God. So many times the reason people are so adamant against God is because of what it means to them and the life they're living if they were to open up and acknowledge God. Well, I'd have to change what I'm doing. I've had so many people say, I I believe that God's there, but I don't want to to live my life for him because I like what I'm doing. I like the drugs. I like the fast life, whatever it is. And they recognize that if I actually did this, it actually might affect who I am and how I'm living. And so Jonah doesn't want this. He doesn't want to acknowledge this. So he doesn't call on God. And there's an interesting comparison that takes place with Jonah and a story in the New Testament. Like Jonah, Jesus was on a ship at sea with others. They also were caught in a storm. The men who had the most experience on the sea also feared that they were doomed. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. Some of the disciples were fishermen. And like Jonah, Jesus was sleeping through the storm, but for a different reason. It wasn't because he was running from God's will. It was because he was exhausted from doing God's will. And it's interesting because in Mark chapter 4, verse 36, it says, And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in a boat just as he was. Why does Mark add just as he was? What does he mean? Of course he was as he was. What else is he going to be? As he will be? No. What does he mean just as he was? It had to be because there was something about his condition that was significant, that stood out to them. Now, previously, we see that Jesus had been so busy that he didn't have time to rest. 
says in Mark chapter 3, the previous chapter, verse 20, that they went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not eat. He didn't even get to eat. There were so many people. Man, I would be irritated. Have you ever been in that situation where you're wanting to do something, but someone comes over and it's like, okay, we can't eat. Oh man, you start getting grumpy or maybe that's just me. But he couldn't even eat. And so, of course, it had to be he was just something taking place. He was so exhausted. No wonder he crashed on board. He's been on the go. He didn't get to eat. He gets to sit down finally, and he lays down and he falls asleep. My wife, for so many years, having four little ones, we would say, let's go to the movies. We'd go to the movies. She'd sit down. It'd be quiet. It doesn't matter what movie. She's asleep. There's bombs going off, explosion, action. No, she has kids. I'm still, and it's quiet. See you later, right? I'm exhausted. I'm going to sleep. Jesus is exhausted. He's going to sleep. He he rests at this time. Jesus was also awakened, just like Jonah was. And he was scolded, in a sense, for sleeping. Okay, and like Jonah, Jesus was the only one aboard the ship able to calm the storm. One other significant comparison is remember the captain's statement. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us. And if God was concerned, maybe how would he show it so that we wouldn't perish when the disciples woke Jesus up? What did they say? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care? We're going to die out here. Don't you care that we're perishing? Is God concerned? Does Jesus care? That's what both stories are revealing. They're revealing God's heart. He is concerned. And he cares. It is the underlining motive of this whole story. God cared for the people of Nineveh. That's why he asked Jonah. Jonah didn't care. And so he left. God cared enough to pursue him even when he was running away. See, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the desire. That's the posture of God. And that's what we're seeing taking place here. So, The storyteller is definitely an artist weaving all these words and these illustrations and these kind of he did, now this is the response and vice versa. These things are all taking place. And our lives are also woven in such a complex way of these patterns and movements. There are so many things happen that cause us to respond and we do so many things that cause responses in others. And it's constantly happening back and forth. However, sometimes we can discern God's voice in them and sometimes we don't. Maybe we're listening the wrong things we're not reading the body language we're not hearing a quiet voice we're waiting for a shout when god is whispering perhaps all we need to hear our circumstance saying is get back to god be face to face what is he asking of your life what is he wanting you to do
maybe the portrait of this storyteller paints is this story like our own. He's showing us something about us that we cannot see in ourselves unless someone reveals to us where we are being deaf, where we are being stubborn, where we are running away. Maybe we see the things happening in our life now in a different light, and instead of them just being, oh, well, I guess this is what's going on, maybe actually God is even speaking through these things or through these, through these people in our lives. You know, there used to be a time when I didn't mind income taxes because there was this hope I might get something back. It hasn't happened for years now, but there was this thought that oh, I'm going to probably get something back when I was single and, you know, didn't have a lot of things. <laughs> that little bit of money was a lot to me. But you know how the tax code is, right? Okay, put this number here, put this number here, look on this chart and see if this number fits over here. And if this number matches this number, subtract it from this number, whatever you have left, that's what you get back, right? And you're like, how do you figure these things out? Like, who is the insane person who put this together? Because you don't know what all these numbers are going to mean. What is this number going to have to do with that bottom line where I see if I get something back or not? How much am I going to get back? And so there's this hope. Maybe it could be a lot of money. And this kind of anticipation for something that might come up. And you see, regardless of our circumstances or what we hear in them, there is always a perhaps. There is a perhaps our God will be concerned, hear our cry, come to our rescue. Who knows? I love that question. Who knows? Because we don't know. But there's that possibility. Who knows how much you'll get from your income taxes? Well, I know now I'm going to get nothing. But at the one time it was who knows how much you'll get back. When all these numbers come together, who knows how much you'll get back? And there are these passages in Scripture that I love. Jonah later in chapter 3, verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. That's what the king of Nineveh says. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me. In Joel chapter 2, verse 14. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind? This is why... We try. This is why we ask. If this is our own portrait, we see in Jonah's story what comes next. As with the disciples in the garden, willing in spirit but weak in the flesh, Jesus also asks us, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray. Why should I pray? Because who knows? Perhaps the Lord will be gracious. God invites us to join him in altering the events in life around us. He invites us into this relationship of cause and effect, in calming storms, in saving souls. He wants our participation. 
And because the limits of what God will do through prayer are unknowable, we always pray in hope. Friday, a handful of us went and spoke with Dave and Terry to give them the check. We had to get dressed in gowns. We had to wear masks. We had to have gloves because she cannot risk any type of infection. If she gets any kind of affection, it could be the choice between whether she gets to move forward in a treatment that will save her life or she dies. And so inviting us into their home in some sense is a risk and that's why we're wearing the masks That's why we're wearing the gowns, because we don't want to risk any of those things. When we gave them the check, they were overwhelmed. She just put her hands to her face and started crying. He was crying. Their son, Nathaniel, was on phone doing a a FaceTime, and he was crying. We were crying. And we prayed, and we are praying. Today they took blood from Terry that is going to be tested and go to the oncologist to see if it is good enough for her to move forward. They won't find out till Tuesday whether she gets the green light to move forward in treatment or whether they give her a red light and that stops the treatment and that pretty much stops her chances of moving forward and living. What do you do with this kind of information. We're not going to sleep. We're going to pray because perhaps God will show mercy on her. Perhaps God will hear and heal because there is that possibility, because there is that hope. In this story, we have a God who says, perhaps here because he cares and so we are going to take some time and we are going to pray for dave and for terry together they have felt our prayers throughout this entire journey there there are so many stories that they have shared they had one instant where dave was talking to one doctor and this was a few weeks back and the doctor said you know have you considered you know, just going home and get going to hospice and just making yourself comfortable. Basically, have you considered quitting? And they heard this news and, and here they are in the fight of their lives. They're holding on. You know, they, they're doing all they can to get the numbers up so that they can move forward. And here comes a doctor and he's meaning well, but he tells them, have you considered just quitting? Have you considered stopping? And as this doctor was talking to them, Dave's phone started blowing up just with all these texts and he didn't see them at that time. But then later, after they felt like they just had the wind knocked out of them from this doctor saying, you know, it's maybe time to call in the towel. They had all these people sending texts. And one of the texts was, you know, I was on a flight to London. We landed and were on the tarmac. And the stewardess had seen the 10 Mile for Terry website and she saw that and she was so moved by that that when she was on the tarmac, she invited all the passengers on that plane to pause and to pray for Terry at that moment when they needed encouragement. Perhaps God will hear the cry 
Perhaps he will move on the heart of someone on another continent to move, to encourage us when we've been discouraged. Perhaps the voice coming across this text will be the voice of God saying, don't quit, I am with you. So we are going to pause and we are going to pray for Dave, for Terry, because perhaps God will hear and show mercy. I want to take a moment and I'd like you to turn to someone next to you or someone behind you if you want to move your chairs. We're just going to take a minute and we're going to pray for Terry. And I've got a list of things that Dave has sent for us that we can pray about. Terry's blood lab work being drawn today. Tomorrow it will show that tomorrow it will show this divine intervention. Pray for Terry's lab work to provide a clear path and wisdom for doctors to follow, to bring forth a safe, complete, and miraculous healing plan for Terry. Pray for Terry's cancer to be remissive enough for the bone marrow transplant to take place. Pray for the City of Hope to accept Terry into their transplant program. Pray for Terry to pass all retesting and be strong enough for the transplant. Pray for Terry's chest fluid to stop completely, to dry up so that she has complete lung functionality. Pray for Terry's blood counts and lab work to amaze doctors with improved reports of strength and God's healing in all areas of her body. Pray for the nausea to stop. Pray for strength to return. Pray for her brother to remain healthy as he's a 100% donor, donor match. Pray for complete healing and restoration for Terry. Pray for a long life together for Dave and Terry. These things are all on the website updates if you don't remember them. I don't expect you to. But whichever one stood out to you, let's pause and take a moment and pray where you're at. Just one more minute, because I don't think the kids can handle two more minutes. And I encourage you to keep these things in prayer and go to the 10 Miles for Terry website to see um, a list of the things and updates that are taking place. You know, everything else seems so small in comparison to be praying for, but I also want to ask that you would keep in prayer as we look for a building. I'm going to be talking this week to a person regarding another space on 2nd Avenue. Pray that the Lord give us favor with him. Pray that the Lord provides what's necessary so that we can move forward, not just to have a building, but to be able to continue the work that God is doing in our community that we feel that a building would be helpful. Perhaps God will hear. Perhaps God will move. Perhaps God will give us something that we can't even imagine. And that's what we're going to be praying for. I I don't want to limit God because I didn't engage in a conversation. I don't want us to miss the involvement that God has for us where we become the vehicles to which God moves because we didn't step in to the things that God was telling us to do, asking of us to do. 
And may we recognize in this story that God is beyond our ability to understand, but what we do understand is that he cares, that he's good. And so with that, who knows? There is always hope. Father, we do thank you for the hope that is found in you, the knowledge of that hope that is seen clearly in the person of Jesus. Lord, may we carry these prayers for Terry in our heart. Father, may we hear the conversation that you are having with us. May we hear it in all the ways that you are speaking to us. Father, may we be responsive to your leading, your nudging, your voice. May you be, may we be useful to you and your purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. May your life fill the role that God has intended for it. May you not allow a stand-in. May you hear his voice and be moved by even the movements of the wind. Let God direct you, use you to fulfill his purpose of love in the world around you. God bless you guys. Have a great day. See you next week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.